Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewertz, Vice President of the North Star Meetings Group Sports Division and the Executive Editor and Publisher of Sports Travel. And our guest on this episode is Dr. Chris Alexander, a professor of video games at Toronto Metropolitan University, who's building one of the most impressive collegiate esports programs in North America, and who recently authored a TED Talk on video gaming and education that has now been viewed more than one million times. We'll be talking about esports as a pipeline to future employees in the events industry, his own background in gaming, his thoughts on the esports industry to come, as well as what it takes to prepare for and execute a TED Talk. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Esports Travel Summit, the only esports business conference dedicated to the travel side of the in-person esports events industry. The 2023 Esports Travel Summit will be held in Toronto, Canada, July July 12th through the 14th at the Weston Harbor Castle Conference Center and will feature the chance to go off-site and see esports operations firsthand with visits to the headquarters of Overactive Media and the esports program at Toronto Metropolitan University, where our guest today, Dr. Chris Alexander, serves as professor of video games and who will be featured as a speaker on the program. The summit also includes a marketplace where you can meet one-on-one with esports organizations looking to cite their events, destinations and venues looking to host those events, and industry suppliers looking to support those events. And if you're at all into hockey, our opening celebration will be at the Hockey Hall of Fame. To learn more about everything we have planned in Toronto, please visit esportstravelsummit.com. And now, on to the conversation. Dr. Chris Alexander had an upbringing not unlike many of us in that when he discovered the joy and excitement of video games, he never looked back. But unlike many of us, he's turned that passion into a successful career, not just playing the games, but educating the future workforce that will help the industry continue to flourish and thrive. As a professor of video games in the downtown Toronto Metropolitan University, Alexander has built a program that now includes about 300 students and has produced the Red Bull Gaming Hub, an active event center that serves as not just a laboratory of sorts for his students, but a functioning venue that has hosted esports and other neighborhood events. As you'll see from this discussion, Alexander is passionate about video games and esports and has a compelling case to make as the benefits that games can bring in educating students and as sources of continued business development. In this conversation, Alexander goes into his own fascinating background in video games as a player, his transition to academia, the future of esports and video gaming, and and some behind-the-scenes insights as to what it takes to successfully execute a TED Talk that's been viewed by more than a million people. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Dr. Chris Alexander, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Thank you kindly for having me, Jason. It's an honor to be here. It's terrific to connect with you. I've had the chance to meet you a number of times in preparation for our upcoming esports travel summit in Toronto. I've also had the chance to tour a little bit of your university, Toronto Metropolitan University, and the gaming and and esports program that you are building there. You are a great ambassador, Chris, I would say, for esports, for the city of Toronto, for your university, all of that. You're the first guest we've had on the podcast who has actually done a TED Talk, which I want to ask you about as (laughs) well. Well, so this is high level uh, content for us, but Chris, thank you for taking some time to chat with us. Uh, I do think it's important for people to understand a little bit about what you're building up there in Toronto, because I do think it's indicative of where we are seeing you know, the future of gaming and, and esports. So uh, thanks so much for being with us. Very excited to see you in a few weeks in Toronto. 
at our event. But let's start here, Chris. Uh, obviously, not everyone listening to this will necessarily be familiar with you and what you're doing. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Obviously, you've turned esports and gaming into a career here in academia, but I know that this has been a lifelong endeavor for you. So give me some background on your history with video games, with esports, all of it. Let's start start at the beginning, if we will. All right. Wow. Okay. So I'm known as the professor of video games, and that is because my work focuses on three core areas. The first area is video game design, and that is how we create, shape, and make experiences for at least one person other than ourselves. The second area, which is pertinent to our discussion and your travel summit, is esports broadcasting. So I'm a Twitch streamer and a YouTube personality as well. And so the skills that we use to broadcast ourselves online is what we're teaching students. And we help them jump from zero subscribers to over 50,000 subscribers in just five weeks. And some of the students are paying their tuition with what myself and Jeffrey LaChapelle are teaching these students in the classroom. So that's the second area. The third area is virtual production because the same game engine that builds Fortnite is the same game engine that builds some of the backgrounds behind the Mandalorian, that television show. And we teach the students how to use their phones to build AAA games as well as blockbuster film and television. And how I ended up getting started with all of this, I am a two-time globally ranked video game player by accident. And we can get into that. Number 17th in the world in Street Fighter 3, Third Strike Online Edition with the worst character in the game on the PlayStation Network, Sean Matsuda. And there's another digital trading card game called Light Seekers. I think it was seasons three through 10. I was number one in all of Canada and number one in the world as my class, which at the time was Dread Class. And so I'm one of those folks. I live it, love it, give it, and teach it. That's how much I love video games. And that is the condensed origin story of how I became the professor of video games. Fascinating. Well, let me dive just a little bit in there. Tell me about Street Fighter. What was your connection to that game? Why that one? So when I was younger, we had these things called convenience stores that had these things called arcade machines in them. And I'm saying that on purpose because I don't know who's going to be listening to this. That's right. I (laughs) have played video arcade games in convenience stores. So uh, you fit the right demographic, at least for me. Perfect. Out, so, uh, Outrun at the 7-Eleven yeah. in Roswell, New York yes. was uh, kind of my go-to. Yo, Outrun, yo, the game. <laughs> Come on. So my brother was allowed to go out and he would play in the arcades inside of convenience stores. And I was too young to go out. One time my family went up to Collingwood and there was a place called Blue Mountain out there. And there was an arcade in the hotel, Blue Mountain Inn and Suites, I think it was called back in the day. Anyway. He brings me into the arcade and there's this cabinet and he said, yo, let me show you this game. It's called Street Fighter. And he picked Guile and he was throwing sonic booms. And I was eight at the time. I remember seeing Guile throw fireballs from his hand and saying like, wow, my older brother is doing that. That's insane. And then when it came out on the SNES, I borrowed it from a friend, a neighbor of mine, and that was it. So my brother got me into Street Fighter, which ended up, yeah, I just, I was obsessed with the game. I would play it all the time. And the uh, connection to Street Fighter 3 was one day I was playing Street Fighter 3 Third Strike online, and this one gentleman uh, kept on challenging me for three hours straight. And I was just having a great time because I love the game. And after three hours, he sent me a direct message on the PlayStation Network, which said, how is it? that I'm higher ranked than you and I can't take a game off of you. So I messaged him back and I said, what, there's rankings for this game? And so I checked and I was convincingly beating the number eight player and I was number 17th and I didn't know. And the same thing happened with Lightseekers. 
I was just playing the game and after a couple of months, I realized I just kept on playing the same two people over and over again. I'm like, yo, what's up with these servers? Like, how come I can't get different players? And then it dawned on me, yo, let me go see if this game has rankings. Then I checked and that's when I found out. So I wasn't trying to, lad what do they call it? Ladder climb. I just really enjoyed the game that much that I would play it that much and uh, happened to be those two ranks. So that's the extended version of the origin story. Okay, no, I appreciate that. And so let me just fill in a few gaps before we get into some details on what you're doing there. But what is the, uh, I guess, the short version of how you went from someone ranked in actually playing video games to a life in academia that you are now teaching the next generation of, of this industry? So the bridge that happened for me to transition from video games over into academia was when I was ranked 17th in the world in Street Fighter 3 Third Strike on the PlayStation Network, I was, it was during my PhD. And so my PhD was in education with a focus on tying video game design to course curriculum development. And at the time I was teaching game design, but I had also thought to myself, wait a second, my path could have been different if we had something where we could have played all the time. And that was kind of the birth. I hope that answers the question. I can get into yeah. like the story of the Red Bull Gaming Hub if you wanted to get into how it started at TMU. Yeah, well, well, let's talk about TMU. So Toronto Metropolitan University, you are one of many universities we've certainly seen across North America now, I, I think globally, that are investing in the future of gaming and, and esports by training students into what a career could look like. And this is not necessarily a career as an athlete, if you will, or you know, someone who's playing, but all kinds of job opportunities within what really has become an industry. So, I mean, Chris, how would you describe the program that you're building? We'll talk a little bit about the venue because we do have a venue that's fascinating. But at a higher level, Chris, I mean, how would you describe the program that you've got in place there and how many students are involved with it? So I think we've got students from all around the school because a lot of the courses myself and Jeffrey teach are um, open table courses, which means they're open to the entire university. And just to give you an example, some of the skills we they bleed over into our game design course. I started off with 271. Sorry, I started off with 80 students and that over two years jumped to over 271. And this year we're probably going to exceed 300. So we know that the demand is there and we're excited about catering to that demand. And with regard to how I normally summarize it, we focus on things that exist around the playing of video games. So if we're looking at esports, we're looking at the broadcasters, we're looking at the journalists, we're looking at the fashion design, we're looking at the architecture, we're looking at, as I mentioned, the broadcasting before, but who's creating the lower thirds, who's timing them, who's transcribing them, who's making sure that we're using software that grabs all the feeds so we can create content for social media. These are the jobs of the present. And that's the core focus of what we're doing with esports at uh, Toronto Metropolitan University. Excellent. Well, we've made a passing reference here to the Red Bull Gaming Hub. And so I think for our audience, this would be of particular interest because you have, uh, in essence, a venue on campus that you've built. Red Bull certainly catches the eye that you have a, you know, a naming rights partner already for this venue. So for those who have not seen this or, or are familiar with it, and if you're at the Esports Travel Summit, you'll get the chance, of course, to actually tour this facility. But describe what that is, Chris. How does Red Bull even come into the mix? Uh, what is it? So the Red Bull Gaming Hub is a future forward broadcast and education facility that focuses on video game design, esports broadcasting and virtual production. But it also serves as a model for the future of online instruction because the classes that we teach out of there are both in person and online simultaneously. 
We've got 36 high-performance gaming computers equipped with some of the best AMD technology on the market, supported by AMD and Canada computers as well. Asus ROG monitors. We've got haptic feedback chairs from a Montreal company called Vipod. And just for clarity, when you're experiencing something in a game, you can feel that through the chair itself. But that means for a lot of our students that are building video games, some of which are competitive titles, you can program feedback into the chairs as well. So that's just a brief overview of the space. We like to call it pilot training because students come out of there and they're getting jobs all over, but things that exist surrounding the playing of video games. And do you have competitive teams that compete as TMU in different titles? We have. So our squad is comprised of about two dozen rosters and they play across a bunch of games. And our teams, uh, like let's say Valorant, is the one that people are talking about quite a bit right now. We've got some of the best among North, North America's colleges and universities consistently placing in the top 16 in their respective tournaments. In some cases, these are leagues with hundreds of participating colleges and universities. So the teams themselves have provided insights into our learning as of how to design and develop our classrooms. And when we connect with other colleges and universities, they're starting to see like, wait, how are you so entrenched with the students? Well, it makes sense. We're players ourselves. One of the biggest things is that our students are active members in the broader industry. They host uh, full-scale events uh, with other colleges and universities. And they've gone as far as New York, New York schools in some uh, cases. We've got influencer showcases that we run where the students are bringing in influencers. And we've had a subscriber reach of over 200,000 in some cases. And yeah, so a lot of our students are directly integrated with major events like the Call of Duty and Overwatch majors. And they're hosted at our school out of the Madame Athletic Center, formerly Maple Leaf Gardens. That's right. That's an incredible venue, the historic home to the NHL's Toronto Maple Leafs that now serves as an arena for all kinds of things, including some of the largest professional esports events that have been held through Overactive Media and some of the other folks in Toronto. But as you just mentioned, uh, an incredible opportunity because it is part of the campus now to actually take yeah. advantage of that. Yeah. Let, me, let me go back for a moment to, to your gaming hub, though, Chris. Uh, obviously, it serves as a, a laboratory of sorts and an educational opportunity for your students to experience what it's like in an event, but how do events fit into what you've done there? I mean, obviously you have the ability to host tournaments and to have people come on campus and experience that. I mean, is that part of the play here and part of the interest in even having a venue like that? Yeah. So one of the core mandates of the Red Bull Gaming Hub, of which I am the director of the Red Bull Gaming Hub, is constant connection to community. So part of what we're trying to do is serve as a venue for community and interested parties to come and showcase and run tournaments. For example, this past weekend, we had, and this one is near and dear to my heart, a Street Fighter VI tournament in partnership with Princess Margaret Hospital and Crunchyroll. We had raised over $1,000 for the quest to conquer cancer. And when you see the pictures from that event, you will see joy, you will see excitement, you will see exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to create unique experiences that are meaningful and are most importantly community focused because myself and Jeffrey, the director of operations for the space, we are game players ourselves. So we are trying to build those things to support the community that we're a part of. So part of what we do out of the space is anybody that's interested, you can come on by, take a look at the space if you're interested. We've got a couple of spaces for casting. We've got a, a meeting room. We've got a viewing space as well. 
And outside of my office, actually, we just built a four-player arcade cabinet where, during the Street Fighter VI tournament, available for play was Street Fighter III Third Strike. That's a long-winded answer, but you can't have me talk about Street Fighter and not get excited. I, I was going to ask you, uh, even at your Street Fighter VI tournament, I mean, can you even resist the urge to pick up a <laughs> controller or get on a computer and compete? Is it is it virtually impossible for you to not compete yourself in that particular game? So... I'm super excited about Street Fighter 6. I play as Kimberly. I just started playing the game on release like a couple weeks ago. But no, I haven't enrolled myself in Turnus. Remember, <laughs> I only play because I love the game, right? So I know there's students that are challenging me and students have challenged me in Street Fighter 3 every year since my return to TMU. So obviously I'm going to play. I have an arcade joystick in my office that you could see in the window that's ready for, uh, for playing. But yes. I do resist the urge for tournaments and the like because the space is for the students and the community. And if you allow it, how does that work? Is it an instant full ride scholarship for any student who beats you in Street Fighter 3 <laughs> outside of your office? You know what? I've considered that, honestly, because each year a student challenges me and each year the student <laughs> never talks about how it goes. So uh, that might be a good challenge. It might be fun, but it'd have to be Street Fighter 3 until I could get competent in street fighter six with kimberly because she's an amazing character in that game i'm having a good time well chris you talked earlier about all these different potential job opportunities that are available in in esports and gaming as we see this industry continue to emerge and, and develop and, and mature i'm curious though since i have you here and you know you're talking to students who are hoping to make a career out of this at the professional level of esports you know the last few months have been difficult and challenging to say the least we've seen a lot of organizations consolidates, you know, by nature of where the business seems to be going at that level. Does that concern you at all? Or, I mean, do you, do you follow those trends as well? And what, what do you think is happening there? So with the trends, what we're seeing is in our own companies, like local, for example, like Waveform, they still have the same demand because the community is still functioning and doing what's happening. What we're seeing a lot in industry right now is a division between I guess a lot of players who came expecting certain things and the community right now is really reinvigorating what the movement originally was, which was rooted in community. And so those jobs, I think they're still there for the tournaments. You can see Overactive still running tournaments, sold out tournaments. They're going to need workers there, of which we love to help them out in that vein. But even sites like uh, Hitmarker Jobs and uh, XP Game Jobs, you'll see these kinds of uh, opportunities there. Yes, of course, for video games as well, but still in production, especially when you're looking at Waveform Entertainment and the skills that we're teaching students for esports broadcasting are transferable to other disciplines, let's say like traditional sport, for example. So I'm actually excited because as the esport industry reinvigorates, we're going to be even more prepared to cater to that, both with folks who are ready to help support it technologically, but more community members who are now getting involved, seeing that it's on its way back up. Out, out of curiosity, you mentioned, let's say, the 300 or so students that you have in your program. Is there a way to describe what they're interested in? I mean, where, where does it fall, Chris? Are most people interested in the production side? Do they envision themselves being the gamers of the future and actually competing uh, what what do they want to do what's the what's the most popular discipline if you will within that excellent question i don't know what the most popular one would be but we have a lot of technicians broadcast technicians that are working in for example obs and they themselves are streamers but also learning how to manage large scale broadcasts working with ndi to 
grab feeds from other places and mix them in real time. OBS stands for Open Broadcaster Software. For those of you who don't know, it's a, a computer-based program which allows you to, you can also connect to external gear as well with it, but it's a broadcast management platform. Students are doing that. We also have students who are interested in things like uh, cooking. So they'll use the esports broadcasting skills to stream themselves and get a following that way. We've also got students that have done things like um, get a Masters of Digital Media student. She made a... Uh, Twitch stream called The Property Sisters. So it was a take on The Property Brothers, but it took place in The Sims 4, I believe, and made a following that way. So it varies. I would like to say that it always is relative to the individual student's superpower, which is what we like to stress. What is the one thing you enjoy doing that absolutely exists for you in esports and video games for sure? Let's find out how to connect you with there. We've got journalists that are coming in that are out there reporting on our students and then getting hooked and moved away. If you get to see the photographs that came out of the Street Fighter VI event, they were done by a second year student named Jay. And Jay's photographs are absolutely spectacular. And so we connected Jay with Red Bull and Red Bull was like, who took these? A second year? And so these are the types of opportunities that are popping up. It's a long way to answer your question, but our students are talented and we like them to focus on what they're excited about and connect them in that way. Oh, I asked you earlier, but just to follow up with regards to Red Bull, how did that relationship come about and what, what was their interest in oh, that's being a part question. of what you're doing? So the origin of the Red Bull connection is my wife. <laughs> so one day my wife was out with the kids and our kids were playing with another group of kids. And there was a young lady standing up talking and every other couple of words she was talking about Red Bull. And my wife overheard her and walked up and this young lady, her name is Julia Lee. She walked up and said, my wife said to Julia Lee, hey, do you work with Red Bull? And Julia Lee said, yes. And then she said, oh, I don't know anything that my husband talks about, but uh, you need to talk to him. And so Julia Lee looked over, sees our kids playing, looks back at my wife and says, okay. About a week later, I get invited into Red Bull and I prepared this whole presentation. I was hopefully going to get into one of their conference rooms. When I got there, said there were no conference rooms. So I opened up my laptop in the middle of the hallway and started presenting. And some people were coming out of their offices like, what's this well-dressed guy doing? I presented. Some people were excited. That was the end of it. I then returned to TMU and I got a contact from, uh, why am I forgetting? Jackson Furrow of Red Bull, the head of esports and gaming at the time. He reached out and said, hey, I heard you're doing some things in esports. I'd like to come and visit. He came to TMU. And I had this entire spreadsheet of exactly what I wanted to do for the community and the students. And I noticed he was wearing a Super Smash Brothers shirt. So at the end of our conversation, I was like, hey, you play Smash Brothers? He said, yeah. I said, well, I have, I've just been training with Jeffrey for the last five months. Let's get a couple games in. So we played, had a great time. And in the next meeting, Jackson unmuted his mic. This was a Zoom meeting. He said, I just want everybody in this meeting to know that we are going to 100% back Dr. Alexander because, quote, He's the real deal. That's the origin of the connection. They saw what Jeffrey and I were trying to do, and they said, let's help. So they helped out with the space, the design of the space, the LED lighting, the makeup of the chairs. We have six bays of six, and the thinking there was to have five players and a coach on the side or a commentator on the side, depending on the setup. But you could, in effect, have three simultaneous games if we quartered off in the center of the room. So that is the origin story of the Red Bull Gaming Hub my wife. <laughs> that is a phenomenal story, Chris, on all levels from the very beginning to the very end. And it, it speaks to the fact that you just never know where connections may come from. 
Yeah. Um, you mentioned your kids as well. I am a parent as well. I have a 13 year old son who of course is into gaming as are all of his friends. And as parents, of course, we have the same discussions as all parents do about how much is too much. And, and, you know, is this good? Is it not? We've had a, by and large, a very positive experience with it in, in moderation, I would say. Uh, I'm curious for yourself, Chris, as a professor of video games and a parent, what's your approach been in your own house? The approach in my house is I really wanted my kids to play video games. So the way that I set it up was to never talk about video games. Oh, it's just work. It's just daddy doing his thing. You wouldn't appreciate it. Like, oh, come on. And I'd always be playing like uh, hardcore Japanese role playing games with a lot of reading. Be like, oh, man, you wouldn't like this. Well, yeah, what are they saying? So now they're like, watch me play Octopath Traveler. But then they became obsessed with picking and choosing their own games. So we have screen time, as most households do. But we don't really have issues with our kids playing games or wanting to play excessively secretly. I, I hope that would happen one day. But anyways, that's that's for me. Like for me, my parents, when I wanted to play video games quite a bit, they simply said to me, you can play as much as you want as long as you pay for it. And so I had to pay for the house Internet. I had to pay for the computers that I was going to build and put together to save on cost and all the consoles. And so that will be the approach that I take with my own kids. But for now, like they're just enjoying it. Maybe daily, probably daily. I wish daily, but sometimes they just watch television and I'm like, hey, girls, do you want to hold a controller maybe? So, yeah, in my house, we don't we don't really have many issues, except I had to get a Steam Deck because they're playing the Switch most of the time. So, yeah, I enjoy yeah. it. Switch is popular in our house as well. Let me ask you a couple of Toronto questions, Chris. We talked about a number of organizations here in passing, Waveform and, and Overactive Media, professional esports organization in town. It seems to me that Toronto is a bit of a hotbed here. There are other plenty of other organizations we can name that are in town. What do you think's happening up there and, and why has the city become a popular location for all of these groups? Well, I think we've established quite a reputation in the broadcast television scene, to be honest with you. And that is slowly translating over into the esports space as well. You see with companies like uh, MLSE, Maple Leaf Sport and Entertainment. And so I think it's a natural progression for us in terms of, hey, we want to run events. We also want to make sure that people are coming out. Well, why don't we do our regular broadcasting, but also host an esports tournament so that we can live stream, people can see the venue, we'll cut to how fantastic it is, and let them know this is a two-day event, they can come to the second day and see the championship. It's just a natural progression for us, particularly because here in Canada, 68% of the population identifies as a gamer. So that means when you're running these things and adding visibility, people will see themselves as part of the narrative and either come out or at least watch the stream. So that's part of why we see it. We've got a high percentage of pro players, and we've got the... Canada is the size of one state, I think California, in terms of population. So we've got pretty good numbers in terms of skilled players coming out of Canada, in addition to our on-air commenta commentators that we have established a pretty good reputation there in the esports broadcast scene as well. I, I would say so. And any tips for our attendees who may be coming up to Toronto? Is there like a uh, an experience, a, a restaurant, a thing that is like your favorite thing to do or that they should not miss while they're up there? If you happen to be two of my favorite restaurants, there's one near Ubisoft Toronto called Donna's okay. up on near Wallace Street. And there's another one, maybe 20 or 30 minutes walk away from there called uh, the Golden Peacock, where they okay. have this delicious burger that is like a gourmet Big Mac that it's like, <laughs> what? 
Who would do that? Anyway, so uh, those are my two places for eating. For desserts, there's a place called Nadej I love going to. Where else? There's the rec room if you want to play video games while eating and enjoying yourself out there. There's, there are tons of things to do, but mostly have good conversations. Talk to the gamers, talk to the gamiest of gamers, talk to the broadcaster and see how much alike we really are. Because that's the thing, we're building community here. Come and see how similar we are to other parts of the world in terms of our love for video games, our love for esports, and our connectedness to community. Excellent. Well, appreciate that. Golden Peacock already sounds intriguing to me. That one I will remember for sure. In the time we have left, Chris, I just, if you'll let me, I want to ask since you recently, as I mentioned at the front end, you did this TED talk, which must have been a fascinating experience. And of course, this was a talk that delved into gaming and education, kind of your specialties. Over a million views now I saw. So congratulations on that. How did that come about? Uh, I believe it was part of something that Canada was doing as a through their tourism board, if I recall. But uh, tell me a little bit about how that happened. I'd love to just hear a little bit about that experience. Well, thank you. I didn't know that we had broken... Well, that far, a million views, that's spectacular news. I should check, but thank you. Um, <laughs> you should check. You're up that high. Wow. So <laughs> the origin of getting connected to it was... I used to teach stop motion animation with the National Film Board of Canada, and there was a production studio on the second floor where one of the top producers, his name is Jerry Flahive, he would come down and we would just talk to each other every once in a while. And every once in a while we'd have events and I would see him, but we never really got a chance to work together on a project. I hadn't seen Jerry in, I don't know, maybe more than six years. And one day I got a message on LinkedIn with just a link to this uh, Destination Canada and no explanation. And I was like, well, I guess Jerry's telling me that I should apply to do a TED Talk. So I did it. And it was a 60 second video where I was talking about um, video games and the metaverse and how video games really are the blueprint for the metaverse. And I was talking about education as a bridge for all of them. And then they reached out and said, hey, we want to hear more from you. And they invited me in for a Zoom call. And this is a podcast so you can't see, but my Zoom setup looks like a live television broadcast. Like I got live subtitles going on. Mm -hmm. I've got everything screen can come up. It looks like a Twitch stream, let's be honest. And they had never seen something like this. They saw their own subtitles live in real time. And they said, well, what do you want your TED talk to be about? And I said, it's this. What I'm showing you is how video games have helped me revolutionize the way that I deliver instruction online. But it's not just online instruction. It's the way that humans learn. And it's the fact that they've got clear objectives. And they were like, oh, okay. So... We wrote it. I worked with the uh, fantastic Cindy Stivers to uh, help with the talk. And it was a spectacular day among 14 other Canadians up in New York delivering the TED Talk. And it was honestly one of the greatest experiences I've ever had because it was the first time in a long time that I was able to give visibility to the community, specifically talking about video games like Virginia by 505 Games where you're seeing these spectacular stories, and I won't spoil the TED Talk, that I use in the classroom to teach game design. So that is how the TED Talk came about and how it was one of the greatest experiences. And it's led to a whole bunch of things like traveling all over the world and even this very podcast, which I thank you kindly for having me on. Well, thank you for putting us in that uh, in that category. What What is that preparation like, Chris? You, you touched on it there, but uh, for the TED Talk organization, what what do they make you do? How many times do they make you perform that uh, before you actually go on stage? So I believe we had four check-ins and I surprised them because by the second check-in, I had my talk memorized. 
The thing is, I told them that I was going to do that, and they were like, nah, nobody does that. But here's my secret. As I mentioned in the TED Talk, I'm an oral learner, which means, well, the truth is I'm also a classically trained pianist, but I can't read notes. I play everything by ear, so I'm really good at listening to things. So what I did was I wrote out the first draft of my TED Talk, and I converted it into audio using a piece of software called ReadBit on the iPhone. And I would just listen to my TED Talk every day for two weeks on my ride to work and on my ride back. And eventually I started treating the TED Talk as a song where I was singing it with the reading in my ears while I was riding to and from work. After two weeks, I stopped listening to it and I was just rehearsing. So the time came, I went into the second meeting and they were like, okay, uh, are we ready to read? I was like, no, 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 I'm ready to go now. It's memorized. They were like, what? So I stared into the camera and I delivered the talk and we still have the footage. Like I, I'm not even making this up. They were shocked. They were like, yo, what? And I thought everybody did that. I'm like, this is a Ted talk. Doesn't everybody take it this seriously? They're like, people take it seriously, but nobody memorizes it. So anyway, the preparation is supposed to be of a particular caliber. We're supposed to have four check-ins, but like, because I had memorized it so quickly, I spent my check-in meetings becoming, I would say, great friends with Cindy Stivers. And we would just talk about our history. She used to work with Shonda Rhimes and all these spectacular folks. So I just love hearing stories. And so we would spend most of our time talking. And then the last 15 minutes, I would just do the talk once since it was memorized and we would keep going. So that is the process, the rigorous process of training for a TED Talk. But it was fun. That is incredible. And we'll provide a link here as well. I do encourage everyone listening here to listen to that particular talk because um, as you've gotten the flavor of Dr. Chris here from this conversation, he is dynamic and has a compelling case to make. You certainly did in the TED Talk. And I would argue that you certainly did here with us on the Sports Travel Podcast today, Chris. So, you know, I thank you. It has been a genuine pleasure to get to know you a little bit. Very excited to see you in person in a couple of weeks and hear yet another angle on gaming and, and esports that you'll be providing for our audience. But uh, I do encourage everyone listening here just to you know become familiar with groups in your own communities, certainly at the university level. We know there's a lot happening right now in gaming and esports. And I think Toronto is a terrific example of exactly what's happening there. So Chris, thank you so much for your time today and for your, your time in a few weeks with us in Toronto. Very much appreciate it. Thank you. And I'm super excited for what the future holds. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports events industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at Sports Travel on Twitter and Instagram, and at Sports Travel Magazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gewurz for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.